You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Let's get to it. Open your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, the ushers have Bibles. They're walking down the aisles. They would love to put one in your hand. So just raise your hand and they will put one of those in your hand and turn to Mark chapter 1. A few things of just a reminder. First of all, there is a wonderful washroom facility at the back of the parking lot. Please use that if you must go because we are desiring to keep the traffic flow uh, to a minimum as well as the German club to be a, a, a safe and a zone for our kids and so and for our workers and so you can use the facility there there's water if you're getting kind of hot heated up there's uh, water back there and then after the service we'll have coffee and refreshments back there as well also too there is a little girl who it, it is her very first time in church because I mean she's just she hasn't gotten out much uh, the last nine months, she's been kind of um, tied up, if you want to say, kind of uh, busy. And the Placios are here, Chris and Carrie. And, and can you show off that little one? I know she'll fall asleep right away again. She will. She'll fall asleep. I'm preaching just like her dad. She'll fall asleep. And, um, and so here we have Priscilla, Priscilla Sylvia, who was born recently, just um, 10 days old is, is she now? About 10 days? What a precious little one. So they're just getting her um, unbuckled. And, and away. look at that. Isn't she tidy? She is the smallest little thing. And her hair is so wonderful. So they're in the uh, kids' bleacher section back there. So congratulations. The God, God is so good. What a what wonderful addition to your family. And we as a church family celebrate and rejoice with you. And thank you for showing her off and now having to cuddle her, Chris. What a terrible thing, hey? And uh, you can thank me afterwards. All right. So, Mark chapter 1, have your Bibles ready. We're going to look there in a moment. Now, the ministry of Jesus, as we continue through this series, all through uh, the next number of weeks even, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark next week, Lord willing. It's chapter 2. And the Gospel of Mark, or the life and ministry of Jesus, can be divided up into three sections, essentially. Three categories. There was the year of obscurity. There was the year of popularity. And then there was the year of opposition, three years of Jesus' ministry. And we see this obscurity, popularity, and opposition. But Mark's gospel pretty much skips that whole first year and gets into the year of popularity and, and where Jesus is performing miracles and the crowds are coming after him. And we see, we've already seen, and we'll continue that Jesus is healing many people. He's casting out demons. And the, in the gospel of Mark, there are more miracles than there are Christ, than the focus on Christ's sermons or Christ's teaching. But every miracle, you've got to understand this, and this is what we're going to see today. Every miracle packs a powerful punch because every miracle is a, a sermon in itself. It is teaching us some incredible biblical lessons, theological even, we see. Every miracle is parabolic in nature. And, and there's a message in the miracle, not just Jesus restoring a broken life, but he is, is preaching a powerful message. And let's remember, miracles are not, they are not the main focus of Jesus' ministry. Well, he was pretty good at them being God, almighty God, and being able to, to heal and cast out demons and later on see you calm a storm and, and, and turn a few fish and loaves into, into feeding 5, 10, 15,000 people. 
Amazing what he can do. But his miracles merely authenticated his message, revealing and showing him to be God and his divine power and his power that he has over disease and demons and nature and even death. John Calvin said it like this, miracles are mere appendages to the message that Jesus preached. And that relationship ought not be reversed. We must see it that the message was the focus, not the miracles that he performed. Jesus saw the crowds and he just didn't look at them and observe how they all looked with hair and nose and eyes and body shapes and all of that. He knew what was going on in their lives and he knows the hearts of people today. There is someone who knows your heart better than you even know yourself here today. Knows exactly what you are thinking this day as well. And it is the Almighty God. It is Jesus who knows this. And he knows the hearts of people and the minds of people then as he knows them today. And we're going to see that Jesus, so many of them were coming to Jesus. And people do that today too. And perhaps you're even here today. You, you, you've come to church and, and, and you think, well, Jesus can maybe help me. Maybe going to church, maybe some religion will help me with the temporary physical relief that from the pain or the problems or the suffering I'm going through. But here we see Jesus, the servant king, who's, who was on this mission, and the mission that he was on was that of proclaiming the good news, the gospel. And, and he summarized his mission in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus, the servant king who didn't come and, and, and have people bow at his feet and, and just want nothing but uh, to, to, to receive their praise, but instead he was there to serve and to ultimately give his life. And that's why last week when he saw the crowds were coming to Jesus, they were flocking to Peter's, Peter, Peter's um, mother-in-law's house and, and, and they were coming to him and he's like, let's get out of here. The crowds are too big and this isn't the focus I want to have. Let's go to the little towns. Let's go to the little hick towns up and down the Sea of Galilee. Let's go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. And sadly today, again, we can be attracted to church and to religion thinking maybe Jesus can fix my finances or my business or help me get what I want and, and maybe it's a good place to perhaps find a spouse. And so we think, hey, religion, church could be a good thing for that. Or maybe we even think that, that he can, can help fix the problems in my life. Help me fix this, fix that with my marriage, my kids, my finances, that sort of thing. And Jesus can. Jesus can, he can, and he does restore. He can bring healing. We can see beautiful reconciliation in relationships. We can see addicted people to, to various forms of sin being able to be set free by the power of the gospel. We can see people healed at times from physical ailments, all in the power in the name of Jesus. But he desires to do something even greater today. He wants to do something greater than fix all of our temporal and surface level. And I'm not to belittle them, he, he, our little problems and our frustrations. He can and he will fix that, but he wants to go deeper. He wants to do the full meal deal. He wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to transform our heart and bring healing that will not just last for time here on earth, but for time and eternity. You think about it, every person that Jesus healed. You hear even Jesus healing people today. And I've seen Jesus heal people today. 
And yet some of those people who I've seen Jesus heal, they ended up closing their eyes in death years later. Everyone will die. Everyone that Jesus healed, even the dead that he raised, and he raised the dead, they ended up dying. And he's like, I'm not here just to fix the temporal. I want to change the eternal. I want to give you a hope and a future beyond the things here in this world. And so this miracle that we see today is a picture of the deeper, the greater healing that he wants to do in this man's life, but ultimately that today in God's word he wants to do in your life, in my life, in your family, in your marriage. Today, this is what he desires to do, this greater, this deeper healing. He came to restore and heal spiritually and for all time and eternity so that that song that we were just singing about is a reality that we will experience one day. And as I said, every miracle packs a powerful truth about the nature of God, His love for us, and His power to change even the most difficult situations. And today we see Jesus touching a man who was living with a terminal illness. This man was dying a slow and very isolated and painful death. And he is desperate. He is desperate for a touch. And he hears that maybe Jesus can do that for him. He is so desperate. And he believes that Jesus can touch him. And you know what? Jesus does. Jesus does touch him. Jesus does heal him and restores him. And today I pray that you and I, that we would see in our own lives and in the lives of many here today, that we would see that and, and understand that apart from Jesus touching situations and people in our family, even our own heart, there is no hope. And that we too today, we would cry out to Jesus and say, and, and humble ourselves and cry out and say, Jesus, I need you, I need you. And maybe it's for the first time, or maybe it's been because it's a long time, because you've been kind of going through life thinking, I've, I own this, I got this, I've got my religion, I've got my re relationship with Jesus kind of squared away and, and that, but you've been drifting, you have been, been allowing sin and, and distraction and, and, and uh, division destroy your life. Jesus desires to bring healing and cleansing so beautifully and so powerfully to lives here today. And so first of all, what we're going to see here, and, and encourage you to write this down, three elements of a greater healing that Jesus desires to do. Three elements of a greater healing that he wants to do. He did it in the life of this leper. He wants to do it in our leprous hearts and lives and situations today. First of all, we see the diagnosis. First of all, the diagnosis, it's bad. It's really bad. It's terminal. When you get that diagnosis, your heart sinks. When you have loved ones, and some of you have even had that pronounced upon you that you have a terminal illness. And more than likely, many of us, before we take our last breath, will hear those words from the doctor. And in verse 40, it says, you can follow along in Mark chapter 1, and it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now leprosy, what this man had, or more recently called Hansen's disease, is a contagious, slow-growing bacteria that moves throughout the body internally. And the, it, it ends up affecting the nerves, the skin, the eyes, and the lining of the nose. The nerve damage caused from this bacteria causes the crippling of hands, 
the crippling of feet, paralysis, and even blindness. Leprosy shuts down the body's pain mechanism, the warning system, our nerves. It shuts that down. And so when the nerve endings die, it causes a victim to lose feeling and touch, and, and meaning that burns or cuts or wounds or blisters have no pain. They have no pain, no feeling, and left untreated leaves a person with, with infection and, and, and various other problems that develop from that infection. And, and what ends up happening is the toes and the fingers eventually rot off the body. Dr. Paul Brandt, who did extensive work in third world countries with people suffering from leprosy, would often send a cat home with the patients that he was treated, that he was treating in order to protect them from the rats and the mice that would come at night and chew on their body parts and they would have no clue. This isn't meant to disgust you, it's meant to inform you. And it's a picture of what sin can do in our lives. In Numbers chapter 5, Moses gives instructions to the nation of Israel on how to isolate people who were suspected of having leprosy. There were other kind of skin conditions and rashes that a person would get, and as soon as they would start to develop a rash or some sort of a skin condition, they were put outside the camp. They were put into isolation. And there was, there was guidelines and, 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 and procedures that they would follow in order to be able to see, does this person have leprosy? And then in Leviticus chapter 13 and Leviticus 14, we see further instructions and protocols when it indeed was leprosy and what would happen to that person. And basically, the leprous person was sent out of the camp. They were sent out of the town, out of the city, and there they would live in a leper colony. They adopted the posture of a mourner. They would tear their clothes. They would leave their hair unkept. Teenagers today, or people wishing they still were teenagers, they would cover their mouth, they would wear masks, and they would cry, unclean, unclean, if, if they were anywhere near the general public, when their family would even come to visit, or they would be out and about, and, and, and someone from the general public would come, they would have to yell at the top of their lungs, unclean, unclean, and have to remain a certain distance if they were upwind and a certain distance if they were downwind from a person who was unaffected by leprosy. It was essentially a slow and lonesome death with no contact and no touch from family and friends just from other lepers. A leper was an outcast. Josephus, Josephus the church father, said a leper was no different than a corpse. One rabbi said that it was difficult to heal a leper, just as difficult to heal a leper as it was to raise the dead. Both are impossible for man. Now, with modern science and technology, there is a cure for leprosy. And it can be treated. But today, back in this day, and for us today, leprosy is a picture of sin. It is a picture of sin, and it is a picture of the destruction that it brings. And we are told in Luke's gospel, his version of this in Luke chapter 5, he says, this man was full of leprosy, meaning he was covered in it from head to toe. It was affecting every part of his body. 
But leprosy is that picture of sin. And leprosy parallels our sinful condition in some incredibly striking ways. Just, just have a listen to this. First of all, God's word tells us that we are all born with leprosy. We are all born with a spiritual leprosy. We have all sinned. And left untreated, it will run its dangerous course in our lives as it spreads through us, as it defiles. And essentially, we are all walking around saying and ought to say, unclean, unclean, my heart is unclean. Sin also, like leprosy, it disfigures. But sin disfigures our hearts and our thoughts and our desires and our words. It distorts our actions and, and it destroys relationships. It leaves us lame and broken and very alone. And even in the midst of life, you can have many friends, you can have family, you can have people that you hang out with and, and, and are very near to and yet have such great emptiness and loneliness because there is this emptiness in your heart and that is the emptiness that sin, sin brings. And just like leprosy, it deadens our sensitivity. Over time, we become more and more callous to the word and the call of God. That's why in Hebrews chapter 3, we are given the warning that, hey, if you hear God's word, if you hear God, if God's speaking to you, and today, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart like Israel did in their rebellion. Don't harden your heart. Because if you do, it's just going to become like you ever get a callous. Because it's pretty hard and it gets pretty unaffected by the very thing that was causing that callous. And, and after a little while, that, that callous is just there. It's a part of you. You don't even think much of it. And sin becomes like that. It desensitizes us to truth and to purity and to what is right. And left untreated, leprosy leads to death outside the camp. And in the same way, sin left untreated leads to eternal damnation in hell. I don't like having to say that. I'm merely the messenger. This is God's word. This is what God's word tells us. And the root of sin, just like leprosy, it's internal. It's an inward corruption that spreads. And it expresses itself in external actions and words. It's not simply that we make bad choices or make mistakes. No, we're sick. We're rotten. We're diseased. Just like a lepers, we're diseased and rotten from the inside out. And for the leper in this story and, and, and for us here today, there's no hope apart from Jesus. There was no hope for this leper to be healed. Only a number of times, two times that I can, could think of quickly this week, that there was ever anyone in the Old Testament that was healed of leprosy. Like the leper, we must understand our bankrupt position, that we are broken and helpless apart from Christ, and we are outside God's presence. We are outside the camp Lepers weren't allowed to worship God. They weren't allowed to be with family. And sin cuts us off from being able to experience and to know God's power and presence in our lives. And so what does the leper do? And what must we do? We need to get to Jesus. And this leper gets to Jesus. Get to Jesus knowing and believing and trusting 100% that he is our only help. He is our only Savior. Loved ones here today, fellow lepers, from one, one leper to another, have you cried out in humility before God knowing we are broken, we are diseased and bankrupt before Him, and there is no help for life and eternity apart from Jesus? 
You see, the dangerous thing is that sin controls us with two lies. And some of you, you're taking these lies, hook, line, and sinker today. And one of those lies is, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I got a little bit of a rash. I have a little bit of a skin problem. I have a few, a few things. I have a little, little things in my life. Not a big deal. I can handle it. I can tolerate it. Others are worse than me. Have you seen so-and-so? I mean, they've got way worse. I mean, I'm not that bad of a person compared to my neighbor. I'm not a bad person compared to my mother-in-law. Anyone say amen? Better not. Better not. Give you trouble. I can cover it up. It's not a big deal. I don't need any help. I'm fine. I can manage it. I can handle it. It's not a big deal. But here's another lie. I'm so evil. I'm so bad. And I've done so many things that are so rotten. So rotten that no one could ever help me. No one, not even Jesus, could forgive me. That is a huge lie. And if you are thinking and believing that lie, there are times I've met people in the years that I've been in ministry who have said to me out on the street, I'd meet them at the post office, I'd meet them in various places, and they say, oh, I could never come to your church. I couldn't go to any church for that matter because I'm scared that, 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 that if I went walking in the doors of the church, I would get struck by lightning because of all the things I've done. And I would just joke and tell them, oh, don't worry about it. We have a lead roof. You're covered. You know, we have lightning rods, whatever, right? No. There is no sin. There is no darkness. There is nothing that God's grace and God's mercy is not deeper than and greater than. And perhaps today you feel, maybe you're watching it online. You didn't even want to come today because you're just like, I, yeah. You're sitting here today and in your heart you have a smile and your lips are kind of moving a little bit while we are singing, but inside you're like, I'm hopeless. There is nothing that Jesus cannot touch and heal and restore and cleanse. Both of those lies are from the pit of hell. Stop believing them. Stop believing those lies. And like the leper, get to Jesus and cry out like this leper, we will see Jesus, save me, cleanse me. And he bowed the knee to Jesus. Will we bow the knee to Jesus? Have you come to that place in your life like the leper, declaring in humility, believing and knowing that apart from Jesus, no one that you cannot be saved, that you're done. Jesus would later say in the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize their leprosy, their sinful spiritual bankruptcy before a holy God. He said, blessed are you if you understand. This is the way to get into the kingdom. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is this understanding our bankrupt position and our cry out to him is what readies us for healing and for a touch from Jesus. If you have never done that today, surrender and give him your uncleanness, your sin, your past. Tell him you are done with that. You turn from it. You repent from that. And today, if you've never done that, you do that. In a, little, in, in, in a number of moments when we're worshiping one more time and singing a song in response, there's a prayer area right over behind the speakers on my right. You get there and there will be people who will love to talk to you about how you can be cleansed have Jesus cleanse your life today. 
And look at the response of Christ to this leper who was on his knees. His lepers under, who understood he was done. He was, he, he was dead without a touch from Jesus. And look at, secondly, we see the cure. And what's the cure? Christ alone. Christ alone is the cure. Look at verse 41. It says, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will. I will. When he says, Oh, Jesus, will you heal me? He says, I will. And he says, Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. How amazing is this? How huge is this? Now get a picture of this. This is in some ways so mind-boggling. When you think the creator God coming to this earth, Jesus, God in the flesh, the very one who created all things, all of the beauty that we get to enjoy, the stars, the universe, people. He's created all of this beauty and glory and he created it all so perfectly and here he is with his own eyes. He's looking at the eye, into the eyes of a man who was so beaten and destroyed by sin. And it says Jesus was moved with pity. That word pity is not the best word for this. There's a greater, deeper meaning to that because pity might just kind of make us think that it's to feel sorry for someone just as as you may see someone who's down and out in life down and out on on the street and and you feel this pity and so you give them a touch you give them some money you give them some food you give them a gift card jesus just doesn't isn't moved with that kind of pity that kind of compassion jesus looks at him in a righteous way and this word in here is actually he was mad He was infuriated with what was going on. He's infuriated with the utter disaster and horror of the effects of sin on a life. On the effects of sin on this creation that he had created in Genesis 1 in perfection and beauty and for relationship with God that he created man and woman in that way and how sin came in and destroyed it all. And now he's looking into the eyes of this man full of leprosy from head to toe, probably missing appendages, probably missing his nose. Good chance that he was even blind or almost near blind. And here is Jesus looking at this disgusting, disfigured man with love and compassion, and he looks at him with an anger about him as well, and he says, we got to do something about this. And he did. Last Sunday night, we were talking to Charlotte's parents who live in Saskatoon, and we usually check in on them on Sunday night, and, and near the end of the conversation, my father-in-law says, yeah, we kind of have to tell you guys something. He says, just, just so you know, we recently got scammed. And I'm like, really? And they said, yeah, we received a phone call. And they said it was from our grandson. They even said their grandson's name and sounded just like him. It wasn't their grandson. And he told how he's in a car accident. And as soon as I start hearing this, I'm thinking, no, no, ah, no, 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 no. And my father-in-law is just telling it so innocently. And, and how he was in a car accident and was at the police station and He needed $400 in Amazon gift cards. So they went to the store and they got them. And gave the phone, the guy phoned again and he gave him the gift card numbers and he says, Grandpa, I need another $400. And then another $400. 
And I'm just saying, every time he's telling me there is this indignation, <laughs> I was so mad. And, and it's just like, ah, oh, I can't believe it. Like, man, if I would just get my hands on this guy, there'd be some, some pastor kung fu coming out on, on this guy. Like, you better watch out. Like, you're taking advantage of my father-in-law and mother-in-law, who I love, who are in their 80s and get so scammed out of $1,200. Oh, come on, let me at him. And also a sadness in my heart for, oh, how were you taken advantage of in that way? That maybe just gives a small little picture, minute fraction of what Jesus was feeling here on this day and sensing and what was rising up as he looked at that disfigured leprous man. And with this loving compassion and this indignation, this righteous anger, there is such thing as a biblical righteous anger. He is moved to respond. Jesus in pity responds. He says, I will be clean. But he doesn't just say the words be clean. What does he do? He touches the man. The onlookers, especially those religious freaks, I mean, they would have been, I mean, <gasps> he touched him. How dare he? Now he's unclean. And, 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 and how could this guy do such a thing? You'd never touch a dead body. You'd never touch a person with leprosy. But what this is, again, it's packing a beautiful picture of the incarnation of Jesus. God in the flesh coming to this earth, identifying with us, touching us in our sin, becoming like us. And then at the cross, he took that sin and he became unclean. He took the leprosy upon ourselves and, and made us whole. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin. God, our heavenly father, made his son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a picture of grace. What a picture of grace this is. Jesus does not stand at a distance and say, be clean, but he touches. He touches this diseased man and he touches our diseased heart of sin and he makes us whole and he does it in an instant. It would have been amazing. I can't wait to go back to the video room and watch the video review on that one where all of a sudden this man is at the feet of Jesus and Jesus touches him and says, be clean. And just like that, you just see this all of a sudden. His hands and his skin are like that of a beautiful little baby. Restored beautifully at the touch and at the word of Jesus. Instantly, he's cured. And what a picture again of the instantaneous transformation that the gospel brings. We go from darkness to light, from being dead to alive. What a picture of the gospel. And this is what Jesus did for this leprous man. And this is what he can do for us even today. He can change your heart. He can change it. The circumstances are still going to be there. But he's going to change your heart. And he's going to give you a whole new power and strength from his Holy Spirit to be able to, 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 be able to live within the battles and the struggles and the temptations. Here Jesus touches him. The blood of Christ today of what Jesus did, did at the cross, cleanses us from all of our sin. And he'll do it in an instant. 
And thirdly and finally, we see the action plan. Jesus gives him some further instructions. Just as oftentimes post-surgery, post uh, going to the doctor, the doctor gives us an action plan, some post-op kind of um, instructions. And here is Jesus' action plan for this man. Obey God's word. Obey the word of God. Obey my commands. Look at verse, verse 43 and it says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he went out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now Jesus gave him some very specific instructions. He says, don't tell anyone, zip it. I know it's going to be hard, buddy, but just don't tell you. Just, just keep it. Keep it to yourself and go to the priest. Keep your mouth quiet. Go to the priest. Go to the priest. Why did Jesus tell him to be quiet? It didn't seem to make a lot of sense. But again, Jesus didn't want people just flocking to him to simply seek out a miracle, looking for the sensational. Because he knew that people would come like, you should have seen him. He just went from all leprosy and all of a sudden now he's, he, he, you got to see it. You got to go. You got to come. Take your leprous brother, sister, aunt, uncle. Bring him to Jesus. Jesus wanted to stay true to his mission. So he said, be quiet. Don't say anything. Didn't make a lot of sense. Jesus said, don't say anything. But he did still. Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom. That was his mission. And he didn't want the kingdom to be known for just a kingdom of miracles. His, his message wasn't, hey, I'm here to make your life better. He's, I'm here to make your eternity, your, your forever better and amazing. Miracles do give us a glimpse of the perfection and the beauty of the kingdom that will one day we will fully experience. But until that time, we've got a mission. And Jesus didn't want to be deterred from his mission. The centrality of his mission was to preach the good news of the kingdom. Repent. Humble yourselves. Trust me as your Savior, as your Lord. Believe in me. Jesus was concerned about the eternal souls rather than just meeting everyone's needs. And so he says, go to the priest. This was according to Leviticus 14. Take and write that down. And I encourage you to read that this week. It's amazing. It's amazing just what you see. It involved certain ceremonies and instructions, and sacrifices, a cleansing that would last eight days. It involved the initial ceremony. When you read it, you're just like, wow, that's amazing. How 1,500 years before the cross, we had a picture of the cross. As, as, as the ceremony involved two birds, and cedar wood, and hyssop, and a scarlet yarn, and, and all of this, just a beautiful picture and foreshadowing of the cross. And Jesus was like, go back to those priests, those stubborn, obstinate, unbelieving priests, and tell them to get Leviticus 14 going. Because many of them were like, where is that? Leviticus 14. Yeah, but we've never done that. And now they're coming in droves, and Jesus is sending a message. The kingdom is near. Repent. I'm the Messiah. And, and, and those hard, stubborn priests needed a wake-up call, and so Jesus is sending this leper, go to the priests and let them know the kingdom is near. Yet, he doesn't go. The leper's disobedience is shocking. 
striking. Jesus touches his life, does the miraculous, the amazing, gives him a clean start, a fresh start, and he tells him to do two things, and he refuses to do it. In fact, he does the very opposite. Seems like such unthankfulness and selfishness and disobedience. Loved ones, today I wonder, Christ has saved and Christ has cleansed you. Can this be a picture of our own selfish, disobedient, rebellious hearts at times as well? We've been cleansed from sin by repentance and faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet we willingly overstep God's words and God's commandments. I know God's word says this, but I'm going to not do it. I'm going to do it in my time or in my way. Jesus did say, he says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. You're going to keep my word. And one of those first commands that he gives the believer in Jesus Christ, upon repenting of your sins and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is to be obedient by identifying with him in baptism. And you know, I'm just really sick of the excuses at times I get for this area of obedience. We come up with so many excuses. Here, the Savior of our souls has has saved us from eternal hell and has cleansed us and, and purchased this salvation for us out of love. And we so flippantly just overstep his boundaries and say, eh, yeah. We know what God's word says in relationship to Ephesians chapter 5 regarding marriage, about it being this, this beautiful balance of sacrifice and submission. And yet we would rather fight and be right and be ticked with our spouse rather than following God's instructions. We know what God's word says in Ephesians 4 about letting no unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. And yet we cuss and swear and gossip and say hurtful things. We know what God's word says in Colossians 3 about forgiving others and holding on to bitterness and yet we hold on to things with an unforgiving heart. Or in Psalm 101 talks about not setting before our eyes any unclean thing and yet we find our eyes and our ears looking and listening to things online that are not clean. We know God's standard, which is for our good and for for our great joy when it comes to sex. We know what God's word says, yet we justify sexual sin and immorality. God's word teaches us that the relationship that we are to have towards money and possessions and towards his church, the family, we know these things, we hear them, and yet we're just obsessed with either more money or more possessions or living life on our timetable. And loved ones, there's always a consequence to ignoring sin when the Holy Spirit is working our lives and say, I'll think about it, or we just say outrightly, no, I'm not going to do it. There's always consequences. This leper is now in the way of God's work. He gets in the way of it. He would rather tell his story. So I've got a story to tell, so I'm going to tell it. I'm not going to obey God's word. I've got a story to tell. Rather than honor God's call upon his life. The ministry of Jesus is hindered by his disobedience. He couldn't enter certain towns. He had to stay in desolate places. And today I wonder by our lives, by our words, 
our obedience or our lack of obedience? Are we advancing the gospel or driving people away? Christians and a transformed life are the best commercials for the gospel. And Christians and a disobedient life are the worst commercials. And they call themselves a Christian. Now, some people hold I wonder, are we advancing the gospel or are we driving people away? Are we being a nuisance for the kingdom of God by living our lives on our terms in selective areas of obedience? Yes, we're going to battle. We're going to struggle with that sinful nature. There is this rebel in all of us. Some of you just think it's in your kids. No, and they got it from you. There's this rebel nature in all of us that we're selfish and we want our way. We want to be heard. We want to be right. We want it all. But in humility and confession, would we learn from Jesus? Let's not pretend we have it all to answer, have all the answers and have it all together, but would we just, just, just forever be once declaring, oh, I need the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace and the cleansing of Jesus? Would we all run to him today like this leper? ask you to just bow your heads right now. The worship team is going to come. The prayer partners are going to come. And I'd just love for us to consider with your heads bowed and fewer distractions perhaps and just kind of a heart of prayer and a heart of just kind of thinking about what we've been talking about here today. Have you been cleansed by Christ? Have you cried out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, heal me, cleanse me. He does that when we surrender ourselves to him as the forgiver of our our sins, as our Lord, as the one who we acknowledge as being God, who came to this earth and died in our place for us. If you have never been cleansed initially from leprosy, from from sin, you are not one of God's children, you've heard the gospel, or maybe this is your first time even hearing it, encourage you to, as we worship together, right after the service, go and talk to one of the prayer partners at the tent. They would love to talk and pray with you. Come for cleansing and healing from Jesus. And some of you are here and, and, and you thought, yeah, I'd like to, but what I've done is unforgivable. Just remember, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus sees you, knows you. He knows the misery of sin of your life and he has compassion. He's worked out the obstacles and the details for you to even be here today or to be able to listen to this message right now. He loves you. This is his love letter saying, come, come, humble yourself. He will put his hand, his touch upon you and you will be cleansed and forgiven. So like that leper, break through the barrier of pride, what others may think, and declare, Jesus, I need you. And perhaps today, you have been cleansed by Jesus, whether weeks, months, years, decades ago, but you need a cleansing today. We're living, you're walking, we're all walking in a sinful, broken world, and your rebellious heart has has met a lot of uncleanness. And you've allowed 
things in your eye, your ear, your mouth gate, things that aren't right, things that are in your mind that need to be cleansed. Mm. Today, turn from your disobedience. Turn to obedience to God's word. Again, the prayer team would love to pray for you and with you about any need in your life. They're here during the song or afterwards. And honestly, the cry for all of us today, would it be, Lord, I need you. Lord, we need you. And then I wonder, who is he calling us to go to this week? He's given us a mission to go into, with his love and his compassion, touch people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just with words, but by our actions. Who is it that Jesus has placed in our life that needs to be forgiven and cleansed and you can help in that process? Who do you need to go to this week? This is the mission for us as a church, for us who are in Christ. And so now, Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and you invaded the deepest, darkest areas of our hearts and you were willing to touch, to heal, to cleanse, and to forgive us so that we can be changed now and for all eternity. We pray, Jesus, are the declaration upon every one of our hearts in various ways and different degrees over different things is, oh, Lord, I need you, I need you. Would we not leave this place today without settling business with you? Maybe it's getting on our knees right in in the congregation of people. Maybe it's responding, coming to the front. Maybe it's going, seeing the prayer partners. Oh God, would we respond in a way that adequately describes the desperation in our heart for you to bring healing and cleansing and life Mm. forevermore, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.